Welcome to this week's episode of the Stack Ecom Bits. Today we are going to be discussing inflation. But before we get into that, let's start with introductions. So my name's Dan. I'm a junior here at St. Thomas Aquinas College. My major is finance and my hometown is West Nyack, New York. Hi, I'm Madison. I'm also a junior here at Stack. My major is math with a concentration in actuarial science and a minor in economics. Hello, my name's Ryan. I am a senior here at Stack. Uh, I am a finance major and an accounting and economics minor. If you listened to the podcast last week and are wondering where James, Juan, and Maxi are, they got fired. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Us six along with three other students here at St. Thomas Aquinas College, are in a macroeconomics class together, which is why this podcast was created in the first place. All of us will be rotating through each economic indicator and will be on the podcast at different times throughout our spring semester. So you can check back in each week to see who's discussing which indicator. Now that we have introductions out of the way, let's get into inflation. Madison, do you want to start with a brief description of what inflation is? Sure. So in short, inflation refers to the general increase in overall prices over a given time period, decreasing the amount of goods and services each unit of currency can get you. Okay. How is inflation calculated? You calculate the inflation rate by taking the difference in prices of specific goods from two years, dividing this difference by the earlier of the two years, and multiplying it by 100 in order to make it a percentage. Inflation is also measured with the Consumer Price Index, or CPI for short. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, CPI is a measure of the average change over time in prices paid by urban consumers for a market basket of consumer goods and services. Building off of that, what are the different indicators of inflation? The main inflation indicators are CPI, as previously mentioned, and personal consumption expenditure, otherwise known as PCE. There are a few differences between CPI and PCE, but the main difference is the scope effects. The CPI measures all out-of-pocket expenditures for all urban households, whereas PCE measures the change in goods and services consumed by all households. The second part of the Fed's dual mandate is to target 2% symmetrical average inflation. This allows the inflation rate to fluctuate above and below the 2% average target, arguably meaning the high inflation now is beginning to correct the current shortfall of the 2% target. Finally, the third major indicator of inflation is the median CPI. This indicator is calculated by the Cleveland Fed and excludes the top 25% and the bottom 25% of price changes across all sections of the CPI. Ryan, what are the strengths of using these indicators to measure inflation? When it comes to CPI, it is a very consistent and concise indicator. CPI takes into account food, energy, commodities such as clothing and vehicle purchases and services such as medical care. Each of these sections of CPI is broken down into more specific areas. Then each area is weighted and averaged out to get the overall CPI. The CPI is very good at including a wide range of products that consumers use. Cause PCE, since it does not include food and energy, a way to reduce the price change volatility, is supposed to be a much more stable indicator compared to the CPI. And for median CPI, it is supposed to help the consumer better understand where the middle of the overall price changes are, as it excludes the top and bottom 25% of price changes. It is very important to use these indicators as a whole to understand inflation. I completely agree with you, Ryan. Those are very important reasons for using these indicators. However, they do have their drawbacks. Every indicator includes the price changes of nearly all goods, but doesn't take into account the quality of each good. Let's look at this with the price change in cars. If we compare the price change of a Toyota Camry from 2019 to 2020, the average price of the car increased from just under $30,000 to over $32,000. 
CPI will only show the change in price of the car, leading someone to believe that the price only increased due to inflation. CPI won't show that the price actually increased due to new technology added into the car, improved interior quality, increased efficiency with fuel consumption, along with other improvements to the car. Also, CPI only measures price changes for urban consumers, whereas PC covers all households. Although the urban population makes up the overwhelming majority of the United States population, about 93%, people living in urban areas have a very different consumption pattern than people living in suburban and rural areas. Not including these groups can change the overall CPI noticeably, either in a positive or negative way. Core PCE, not including food and energy, could be misleading on the true level of inflation. Food and energy are the more volatile sections of PCE, but they can be considered more important in people's lives than commodities and services. I can go for a good length of time without buying new clothes or a new car, but I need food and energy on a daily basis in order to live my life, so I'd like to know how much the cost of these goods are changing. Lastly, with the median CPI, it is just as important to know the middle of the range of price changes as it is to know the ends of the range. So removing the ends doesn't let the consumer know how they would affect the overall price changes. Madison. After hearing the pros and cons of these indicators, do you think that it's important for the average person to pay attention to inflation and how it affects their daily life? Yeah, every person should pay attention to inflation because of how much of a direct impact it has on their day-to-day life. First, let's go into purchasing power and how inflation affects that. Purchasing power is the amount of a specific good that one unit of money can buy. For example, let's say I can buy 10 cookies for $1 today. If inflation on cookie prices goes up 10%, then I'll only be able to buy 9 cookies of that same dollar tomorrow. Understanding how a person's purchasing power is affected by inflation will help them better plan out their future expenses. The average person's salary is also affected by inflation, very similarly to how their purchasing power is. It isn't uncommon to see raises given out to employees, but this is only the nominal raise. Their real raise is based on how much inflation exists at the time of their raise. If my boss gives me a 3% raise on my salary and inflation is 2%, my real raise won't be 3%. By using the Fisher effect formula, my real raise will only be 98th one hundredths of a percentage. This can put a big damper on a person's plans with their newly acquired raise. One more major thing that inflation affects for the average person is their cost of living. Cost of living is the cost of maintaining a certain standard of living and can be directly related to purchasing power. Inflation affects individual sections of CPI differently, but all of its sections are still affected. The cost of food and energy increasing for a household due to inflation will significantly affect its cost of living. This combination of the effect inflation has on purchasing power, salaries, and cost of living are all substantial to the average person. Going off of that, monitoring inflation is extremely important when it comes to the development of different policies as well as economic analysis. Dan, would you mind going a little more into that? I would love to. So from an economic perspective, looking at inflation is so important because a consistent steady rise in price levels is expected in a growing economy. However, when there's more drastic jumps in the rate, it can be a signal of a breakdown somewhere in the economy. When prices become too high, individuals spend less and hold on to their money, which as history shows can lead us into a recession. And from a policy standpoint... Understanding when inflation is at a risk of becoming too high allows for policies to be put into place to counteract it. In the case of demand pull inflation, the Fed will typically raise interest rates as a means for slowing down the economy in hopes for bringing down inflation. The when and amount of a rate hike is dependent upon a multitude of factors. For example, the Fed has been patiently waiting for a strong labor market before a rate hike, 
this being evident during the effects of the pandemic during this fall. The Fed needs to prioritize a strong labor force as this is the first target of the dual mandate. Thanks, Dan. Let's switch gears a little and talk about the effect of inflation on streams of fixed payment. How are fixed payments, such as loans, impacted by sudden changes in inflation rates? When inflation rates start to increase, fixed rate loan payments remain constant and in turn cost you less. You are ultimately paying back to the lender devalued dollars, making the value of the loan higher. However, this goes both ways. When deflation occurs and the value of the dollar rises, the borrower is ultimately using a larger proportion of their income to pay back the loan. This means the loan is less favorable to the borrower. Thanks, Ryan. Let's close out by talking a little bit about the Fed dual mandate and the role it plays in dealing with inflation. What is currently known as the Fed dual mandate was originally a mandate from Congress placed to promote maximum employment, moderate interest rates, and stabilized prices. Ultimately, the Fed wants to foster economic growth with emphasis on a balance between price stability, which refers to inflation, and unemployment. In the short run, society faces a trade-off between inflation and employment, which is illustrated by something known as the Phillips Curve. The Phillips Curve is a graph which highlights the economic concept that there is an inverse relationship between inflation and unemployment. When unemployment is high, it is easy to find people looking for work, which creates no need to raise wages. However, when unemployment is low, employers need to raise wages as it's typically much harder to find workers. This, in turn, leads to high inflation and low unemployment. All right, I think that's a good place to end. Does anyone have anything else they want to add before we conclude this episode on inflation? I think that's going to be all for this week. In that case, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Stack Ecom Bits. Next week, you can expect an episode on unemployment, but until then, have a good one. <laughs>